they call me Crazy Jack. And I, I think crazy is good. We are crazy, but we're not stupid. You keep pushing because you believe in yourself and in your vision. Stay hungry, stay foolish. The Creativity Podcast. And we are here today with David Brower, a good friend of mine. David, welcome on the Creativity Podcast. Thanks for having me, Boots. This ah, is great. Pleasure, with pleasure. So uh, David does so many things. We're going to talk about everything. Uh, so you are a life coach. You create sensorial events and you're creator as well. You write. We're going to talk about your new book and you write poems as well. So we have a lot uh, to talk about. But first of all, I want to talk about how we met, which was <laughs> through a friend of mine, um, Um, that is also, I was about to say, a clown, uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that has to be that way because of your uh, eclectic personality, we can say so, and your your journey. So it had to be through someone like that, Casper, uh, that is uh, an amazing guy. And he told me about you. You had this SED event, Sensorial Experience Day. We're going to talk about that as well. Yeah. And you wanted to see if we can connect. And so that's the first thing. I want to I want to start with is that I never connect like that with people. Only with you I connect in <laughs> such a way and I know for you it's the opposite. You connect like that with a lot of people. And so a lot of people call you a a super connector. So what is a super connector? How can you connect with people like that? Thank you for having me here. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciation like I've just done is one of the key things. Now, you really need to appreciate the people that appreciate you and spend time with you. So that's what I really do when I'm curious about somebody. I pursue them. You know, some people call it stalking, but <laughs> yeah, it sounded like I pursue them. <laughs> and, you know, I get curious. I get really curious about people and what they have to share and what they can teach the world, oftentimes through some sort of a artistic uh, expression, but that could be speaking, uh, writing, poetry, uh, painting, uh, singing, dancing. There's so many ways to grow and expand that go beyond thinking. And so, so anyway, for super connecting, it's for me, it's like, who do you want to meet and spend time with? Mm. It's like for your podcast here, it's like, who do I want to spend an hour speaking with? I'm sure you think about this all the time. And then it's about actually going to create the connection. And I think that's where it gets like into the execution phase of like, how do you actually connect with somebody? And there's so much discussion about like, how do you bring value to somebody? How can you help them all these different kinds of things. And for me, it's also a lot about how do you reach out in a way that's like, you know, pleasurely purposeful for the person also it brings value. But then like, it's, that. it's like, you know, you, you kind of stand out because you've created something original to them. Like for years, I sent videos to people, you, you know this, or crazy facial photos or something to like pattern break and get through versus all the other people just sending maybe text or, uh, you know, an audio message or like the standard kind of thing you have to customize in life. So kind of wait, I want to talk about how you do it. But first of all, I want to I want to see where that where that comes from. So you saying it's about Uh, curiosity and appreciating other appreciating other people because I know you uh, very well. 
I mean, quite well. And uh, I know it's not out of business interest that you do that. Sure, maybe later it can, it can turn into uh, something and that would sure. be great. But it's not from that. So your starting point is, I'm curious. I want to connect to people that have a gift or that something. So it starts with something. It starts with you a little bit. Like, I don't want to say selfish thing, but it yeah. starts with a this curiosity and wanting to hang out around those people. And then you just reach out like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, it's a, it's a desire. It starts with a desire. It starts with, wow, that's a really interesting, cool person. I'd like to spend some time with them. You know, I mean, life is about the people you spend time with so much and like the experiences you have with them. And so like, Like, if you want to have a richer life, from my perspective, is you want to spend more time with a variety of different kinds of people. And my experience in Sort of Experience Day was basically this kind of a thing. How do we mix a diversity of people together that would never probably spend time together? Like, so many people don't spend time with um, artists or creators or uh, performers, uh, um, even if they're amateurs. You know, people don't really spend time in that kind of space. And... I think what it does for us, and this is where it gets into the sensorial, it takes us out of our thinking into more of a sensory connection. And that's where emotions come in for me. And I get a lot of value out of that. Like it brings me to tears. It like it fills my soul. It makes me feel like I'm alive. And it gets me out of thinking, really. And so in a lot of ways, I guess I've wanted to connect with people to that can bring me some kind of an experience that gets me away from, uh, you know, thinking about the existentialism of life or worrying about this or that or the other. Uh, you know, it's almost it's my hobby and distraction in a lot of ways to be able to be with people who allow me to feel like this artistic soul in me, you know, and, and to connect in this level. And so obviously it starts with already, you know, who am I attracted to and I start to explore that. And if there's, you know, a return of desire to connect with me, something starts to happen. But I can definitely say, you know, as a curator and a creator of type, these types of experiences and gathers in things, you know, most of the energy to make it happen is driven by me. It's me wanting to create. I mean, if you think about it, when we connect with people, it takes time to do that. This is why I'm kind of a not against networking, but I don't really like that word, you know. We go and meet somebody and it's, you know, you ask what people do, et cetera, and it's very transactional. And like, you don't even know if you have a resonant feeling with the person. And like, if you don't get on subjects and share an experience that takes you away from talking about overly transactional kind of work purposeful stuff, I, you, you I don't really yeah. connect with somebody and you... I think that there's enough people that do uh, like like do really great things in the world. But like, do you like them? Like, mm. do you know, do they even see you? Is there I mean, it's just like a dance, you know, I can't dance alone and expect the person is going to um, dance with me if they don't want to. So it doesn't really work. And I'm like, I want people to be I don't know. I'm just like, how do I connect with this vast variety of people to enrich in my life? Is where it starts. I, I was just about to add that the first time I met you, Nada, I, I just remembered, it it wasn't 
like you said, a transactional networking kind of thing. Hey, here's my business card. It was, <laughs> we set a new place. And I, at the back of my head, I had to admit, I was thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> Is that, what's the purpose of that meeting? But there was no purpose and it was un, a little bit uncomfortable at the beginning. And then we got closer very fast in a, this is just a metrics I'm going to share and which is not about intimacy, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the number of friends you have on Facebook in common with you. I never saw that. It was like 150 friends in common in like a heartbeat. So that was the super connecting, um, uh, part of, of, uh, the data part of it, but we got closer very fast. And some people say, Oh, how long do you know David from uh, like, couple of months but it felt like 10 years already so i can attest that i, I live that through you so now how do you do it you just you don't just send a message that's what you were saying you reach out through facebook through how do you do exactly i've mostly used uh video to reach out to people uh, i found that that's in the last years, and even still today, I mean, let me ask you and everyone else who's listening, how many times do you reach out to somebody you've just met or you want to meet by sending a personal video to them, which takes less time than to write something, right? You know, and you make it personal and you maybe make it creative and original and the person can see you and feel you and sense you. And like, oh my God, it's like such a personal gift Mm. Right. And you, you do something that's, I mean, for me, the value is in that you've spent the time to actually do something specific for somebody, you know, so that's what I do. You just, I mean, send a video. I mean, don't even plan what you want to do. Just send a video saying you're amazing. And I'd love to see if I can bring value to your life and all these kinds of things. If you want to say that, but I don't even do that. I just kind of reach out and tell the person what I'm fascinated about them. And that I would like to be able to maybe meet them and, um, you know, kind of kind of go from there. You know, maybe I'm talking about an event that I would maybe want them to consider uh, contributing to or being a part of. Uh, it may be for some other reason. Uh, but it's really just like, you know, just show up and send a video. It's like it's pretty, I mean, who does that? I mean, it's literally, I'm asking everyone here, like, how many videos do you get, personal videos from somebody saying they want to meet you? And, and, and this is hard. why. And it takes two seconds. We all know how to do this now. It's, you know, instead we get caught in our head and write something and it's like, oh my God, and just send a video when you like feel that inspiration. Why are you fascinated by them? Start there. And if they respond, the conversation starts. You know, and it's the same thing in my events. It's like, if you can somehow get beyond this barrier of, uh, you know, it's getting fixated on like, what can I give to this person? What can they give to me? It's like, well, actually, can you like, have an exchange already that shows that you're somebody who puts in an effort to to go the extra distance to show that you recognize this is a this is a great person and so you do something customized. It takes a little bit more effort. And as you can see, who does this? Want to stand out? Send videos to people. And you connect them through those events. So now I feel like it's time to talk about this because we have uh, mentioned SED a couple of times. So tell us about those uh, sensorial experience days that you organize. Yeah, I mean, we started, what is it, five, five years ago, I guess. Uh, I wanted to create some sort of a gathering that would be my version of a, um, 
you know, a high level uh, mastermind kind of experience because I'd experienced different kinds of events around the world, very world class, and just felt that that something was, well, it wasn't done in the way that I would do it, even though there are exceptional events that I've been to. There was something lacking in terms of the connection between people and also the, let's say, the, the emotional uh, feeling we could get. Everything was too caught in the head. And I'm a really strong believer that when we get out of the head and we do things that take our awareness and focus away from the head, we get more into a sensorial experience of the world. It gives our head a break. And we actually connect with our subconscious, which again, if you remember, is kind of what runs our life. And so if we can't touch that and connect with that and be in a space that has a conversation with that and maybe pattern break something or open something up, um, you know, we get stuck in a little bit too much of a conscious uh, perception of what's going on in the world. And so I didn't really realize this when I created the event. My event was really about creating the things that were most interesting for me, which is human expansion, personal growth, whatever you want to call that. Uh, mixed with artistic expression, uh, creative creativity, uh, and also mixing it with culinary arts and food. And so like all of these things mixed together in an ambiance that brings you into a space of presence. You're very much in the present moment. Uh, you lock your phone away. Yeah, let, you... let's, give, um, <laughs> let's, give, uh, let's give an overview. So you arrived to this event and some guy, this brower guy, who says, put your phone in a box so you're not allowed to use your phone or any other devices, of course. And, and then you go through a, a day of eating great food, meeting people, discovering new dishes. I'm, I'm just saying how I lived it, right? And you discover artists and speakers and people have this, this uh, gift or this talent. And, and the day goes like that was already nine hours. You're like, what? And you, you do all kinds of funny and connecting exercises and sharing moments with people. It's not too weird, I have to say, from my perspective, you know, it's not like a woo-woo kind of experience, which is great, which makes the time goes very fast. And it kind of feels like a moment out of time as well. So um, I like that about the SEDs. That's my perspective on it, of course. So... Um, do you, why, why are we, I feel like people are sometimes afraid of connecting in such a level. And coming back to what you were saying, sending a video or just reaching out to some random person and say, hey, I love what you do. Let's have a coffee or something like that. Why don't we do that enough? Why, why are, are we afraid of that? What's your take on that? I guess we are, yeah. I mean, we... I think we're afraid that maybe we don't have something to bring the person that we're connecting with. You know, you're always like the, the standard, you know, networking thing is like, how can I help you? What, what value can I can bring to you? And sometimes you don't really know what that is until you know the person a little bit more than just what you see on social media or something. And I think this is where sort of the artist creative way of connecting with people comes out. And like my main thing is really just connecting pleasure with purpose. I mean, I want to connect obviously with people that I feel uh, drawn to. 
I also hope that something in there, there's some kind of value in there. I'm not putting a label on that, but uh, I think we're just scared to connect with people of different levels, uh, of different, mm. um, like, like we don't see the connection, and this is the problem, right? We don't see the value, like why would I connect with this person? And that's why it's really valuable to go more than just the superficial. I can't tell you how many people I've met and I don't really know why I'm meeting them, but I trust that I'm drawn to them. And something comes from that. And that happens in my events. I mean, people come and they meet the person that they were meant to meet to uh, start up a new business. They meet the love of their life. They, you know, but you can't plan for that. It just kind of happens in serendipity. So I think we, again, get we get too rational about this like there's some methodology and it's like well why don't you just start reaching out take 10 people you're drawn to on social media for example and send them these videos and say you know i don't know why but i feel drawn to you so it's kind of easy right mm. but i think everyone is kind of i think everyone's kind of feels a little bit anxious about that also because you know we everyone's like looking for something right and so, of course, when you reach out to somebody and actually in the back of your head, you want something, you know, you're maybe coming from that space. And that for me is networking. And that's not what connection is about. Connection is already, you know, what do we really share together in our values? What, you know, gosh, I didn't know you love skiing. Like, that's the greatest thing in the world. You're like, what? You play the piano? I would, know, I mean, I would like even all add, these things. Yeah, I would even add that in a networking event, Yes, you have contacts and you see talks or whatever, but usually you get out of there with one or two people max in mind that you share those kind of things, right? So you, you go to this event like a rational way of meeting as many people as you can. And at the end, who are you going to... Uh, who are you going to see the most? Who are you going to exchange the most with? The guy who said, oh, I didn't know you love skiing. And so, yeah, the, those connections make... Even on the rational in the, the, the events that are methodical on the networking. So I totally agree. Yeah. And this is how you create intimacy, right? It's like, I know you beyond what you do professionally. This is what friends are made of, right? This is, and then of course, I mean, it's, and this is where, you know, I talk a lot about this and I should really like make a program or course about this. People have said this all the time about connecting. And like, you know, I think about all the people I've connected with and, like how you grow that relationship, right? You know, like the follow-up and the follow-through is everything, not the business card that you got like mm. you just talked about. It's like, are you going to follow up successfully, right? And if it's only about getting a transactional thing, that can be fine. You know, you need to find somebody to build your website. And at some part of you meet somebody and you feel kind of attracted and they seem talented and you like them and they like you and they kind of... So, okay, great, you've got some kind of transit. You don't really care about having a... More than that with him. Fair enough. Um, I'm somebody who wants to be more, you know, doing things in life with people that I have a certain uh, connection to, a certain feeling for, a certain, that also kind of, you know, kind of get me. Because otherwise, I mean, we could just, you know, use the yellow pages and just look up, you know, website builder, you know, look up yeah. uh, speaking coach. We could look up, uh, you know, uh, I mean, think about like the restaurants you go to or the, um, any of the services like at the food market or something like like we go to the places where we like the food and the quality of things but we also like the way we're welcomed right 
I like the way the people speak to us and how we connect with them. And if there's some kind of, you know, banter that's been uh, created, it's not just about buying food and getting nourished. It's about the experience. And so for me, it's just a much, a much uh, more colorful way instead of looking at life very black and white on and off. Yes and no, that, you know, you connect with people more in a broad way, thinking that we we all lead very expansive lives. And for the most part, we don't really know people. And so if all you focus on is what they do professionally, uh, you know, that's a real shame. I don't think you really reach and connect uh, meaningfully with people. And that's how I, as you said so well, this is how I accelerate the connection with people is, first of all, like just using my energy to focus on them. I mean, I would go into cities to put on my event and within a week, I would find the people, as you know, how my event was built at that time. I would find the six or eight or 10 people who would come and contribute to the event within the week that I'd never met before. I'd meet them on Facebook or something and reach out, give a video, maybe we'd chat or something and they'd feel my energy and we'd, I'd give them, you know, what, what this is all about. And it's not just, oh, you're, you play the piano, I need a pianist. It's like, no, let's, let's kind of connect. This is who I am. So it's, it's also like us. We don't share enough about ourselves either. Like you see somebody playing piano online uh, who's a business coach. And, you know, you're like, wow, I play piano and I want to learn about growing my business. So you may be attracted to that person. So maybe that's how you reach out to them. And I think magical things happen when we focus on the stuff beyond, uh, beyond work. And I think meaningful connections happen. I mean, I would ask you, how many people that are currently in your life, uh, you know, did you meet during the sensorial experiences that you came to and who you've had meaningful connections with, either at the events or maybe some of the dinners that we've had that somehow have been a part of your life? And it doesn't mean to be 10 people, but... Yeah, exactly. You know, you I was about to... I was thinking about that. It's not how many people is the, 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 the level of connection with those mm. people. It's not... I, I know... I know a lot of people, I mean, <laughs> insane, right? I'm not bragging about it. Uh, I, I don't know actually quite a lot of people, but I mean, I have a lot of so-called friends and I don't know how to say in English, the, the, the acquaintances, I don't know how to say that. Yeah. And, but yeah, from the SCG, the friends I have, it's, it's on a deeper level. Like, uh, I'm thinking about Sonia Choquette, I'm thinking about... Um, Punam, Nathan, all those people. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't mean, it's not 20 people, but the, the connections are, are really strong. Yeah, the force is strong. And wow. yeah, I think it comes from uh, those uh, sensorial. So how would you define sensorial, talking about those events? What, well, what is what, it about it? Yeah, well, what I really call it is sensorial intelligence. And it's this ability of us to kind of escape our head uh, from time to time, because uh, I think we're overly caught in our heads, or at least, you know, I am. And I think this is why I've created, you know, this, uh, um, this philosophy, this, uh, this, you know, way to live through life, uh, which allows me to escape my thinking. I mean, we're not here really to follow thinking. It's not, you know, it's thinking is useful, but to live there all the time is painful sometimes, right? So for me, it's 
really about how do you dance between thinking and uh, sensing and taking your focus and using it on your senses more attentively with more observation, more in HD with a longer period. Uh, So, and then I think this is what amplifies the intelligence of the experience that you're having. And for me, when you get better at using and living the sensorial experience, you can expand your experience of life. You're not so black and white, on and off, yes and no. You get more into yes, maybe no. You get more into, you know, there's white and black, but there's a rainbow of colors in between there. And and it gives, for me, it gives me a sense of personal agency uh, to be able to allow myself to experience way more of life and open up myself to be uh, desiring to not just, you know, go through life a little bit kind of like a standard preset, um, fear-driven, like fight or flight kind of way of experiencing it. And so, you know, sensorial intelligence is kind of a way of allowing you to not be overly driven by thinking, um, to make that more an executional tool or a very specific one from time to time. And so get more pleasure uh, out of life, but purposely. So, for example, I mean, I, obviously I, I talk a lot about food and I love to cook. And you're a great cook. And I'm a great cook. Thank you very much. Where did you learn that, by the way? How did you learn how to cook? I just learned by self-taught, you know, sensorial intelligence. I'm just like focusing on my senses and being present yeah. and repeating and desiring to create and innovate and and like, you know, like, for example, like, how can I make uh, how can I make chicken perfectly like a breast of chicken? And how can I make the same piece taste 10 different ways? Mm. So, you know, you get sort of a mastery on something. Uh, and again, like you need to be able to be present to your senses. You know, if you're not, you know, if you're multitasking like crazy while you're cooking, you're not really getting the most value out of what you're learning and what you're experiencing. And when you do that and you're super present, your learning accelerates like crazy. Uh, and also your pleasure is because you get more skillful at it and you actually realize you can smell the difference between things. I mean, I would cook to the point where I did things so repetitively and so present and drawing and drawing pleasure out of it. And I get to the point where I could know almost without, you know, looking or cutting a piece of chicken or something when it's done. You know, just because you sense it. Again, you'd like your senses start to get intelligent. But it's because you've been so present to them and so aware of them. And you, you know, you purposely want to um, use them in this way. So sensorial intelligence is like allowing me to live a more colorful life without going, you know, too much into one extreme, which, for example, would be, you know, all you do is live from, you know, your chin up. And it's all about thinking and rational and logic and, you know, or someone who's maybe on the other extreme, which is like a Dionysian experience of life, you know, um, I don't know, sometimes I talk about Jim, Jim Morrison or, or John Belushi or, you know, people who, uh, um, you know, maybe have their own addictions or whatever it is, but they, they kind of let go of all control and, you know, lived in a way that for most of us would, I believe, be considered, uh, at least for me, you know, too too extreme, too wild, too, 
too too free, too un- unconscious. I, w- I was uh, about to, you know, too. so I'm trying to find a way uh, through sensorial intelligence to experiment and allow people to find this middle road, which, you know, lets you kind of follow a Richter scale of like maybe occasionally I want to do something kind of extreme, but I'm not going to live there. Right. And I think this is, you know, being able to recognize this is really, I think, useful in life. You know, you don't want to be like, you know, going to like a super extreme on working. So you go to like the burnout and that's all that matters. and That's all you can think about. And then you come home and like the rest of your life is, you know, you can't even focus on it because you've dedicated so much of your um, energy thinking and senses and smarts to just this one kind of thing. So, you know, how do we loosen up and dance between and shift between? And by using our senses, for me, we come back into the present moment. And if we start to give meaning to that, so we don't just cook something to eat something, we cook something to be pleasurable and enjoyable and for ourselves and others, and we give love through that. And it suddenly is pleasure with purpose. And so I'm playing and experimenting to bring that into people's lives, a sort of a, a middle uh, uh, road that has a kind of the best of both worlds, I guess, is the way I want to, you know, hopefully live uh, my life. And it's very personal for everyone where that, I like to use the term efficient frontier, which is a finance term, right? Like where your risk and reward cross for everybody that's a kind of different range i'm not saying my way of looking at this is that but it's just my observation that if you're on one extreme or the other and you live there from there it's i don't really see too many examples of that that i that i admire personally yeah that's why i wanted to ask you about because sometimes we 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 think about pleasures uh in some sort of superficial way it can be that we always seeking for pleasures, for sensorial, external uh, stimuli. It's also the dilemma of the carpe diem thing, uh, the, the purpose and the meaning versus just the, 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 the senses, the, uh, the food and the drugs and the sex. Like I'm exaggerating, right, to, to both worlds. So how um, would you bring those two worlds together? You're saying it's don't fall into the excesses, right? Firstly, I just want to again say, you know, this is not, it's not necessarily so straightforward. It's, it, it can be complicated. And uh, it's almost like instead of learning a dance step from salsa, you know, instead I play Latin music and I tell you to, you know, freestyle dance, you know, so it's, you know, it's only in experimenting with yourself to allow yourself to stretch that you're allowed to actually bring more into your ability to experience, receive, and manage different kinds of experiences. And again, I mean, some of us, you know, maybe some of us have more addictive behaviors or, uh, you know, than, than others. You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not pretending to give people a solution for that or addiction specialist, but, you know, I, I have found in my own life useful ways of exposing myself to certain things to allow myself to be able to get more control um, over them in a way or, you know, over myself to be able to say maybe yes or no and that, do different things. And that's, so, that's why I, w- I wanted to come to it involves some kind of mm-hmm. discipline as well. 
Sure. So because a lot of people are seeking comfort through pleasure, I think. And when it's not pleasurable, when it's not comfortable, like, oh, I don't want to do that, they, they, they don't go for it. So they, it, it's almost like some people are um, um, uh, mixing up this pleasure thing with the, there's also discipline involved and sometimes they don't want to do it, right? So I know you, you, you have this discipline. So how, how do you manage that? And what, what is the vision you have towards this uh, paradox? Yeah, I really... You know, I, I guess my, my dream is to be able to live in a way where I can dance between pleasure and discipline. And sometimes I'm doing stuff for pure pleasure. And sometimes I'm doing stuff purely by discipline or for discipline or to cultivate discipline. And ideally, I want to overlap those. So coming here today, you know, what did I do when I came? I, I walked up eight flights of stairs to be able to come here. And I do that. And as, you weren't even sweating. And I wasn't even sweating. <laughs> I was yeah. looking for it, but no. <laughs> you, you had your full And work. so, you know, I choose to, um, you know, I guess call that with discipline, but becomes a habit. So I don't even think about it. Like I take the stairs when I go some places. That's how I define myself. This is who I am. And so I'm getting pleasure with purpose there. Um, you know, I'm using my discipline to say climb the bloody stairs. I'm getting a workout in my legs. I'm getting my oxygen up. It feel, I feel good when I do that. I enjoy that. And I enjoy the idea that I'm using my time in a way that's useful. See what I'm saying? And, and so, yeah, it's about practicing those types of things. I say to myself, how can what I'm doing that's pleasurable serve me purposely? Give another example. I watch movies. I like to take notes a lot of times when I watch movies like phrases and quotes and something I feel and sense. Like it's not just an entertainment thing. It's like, wow, I've learned something here. They've showed me something, a way to do something, or a way to be, or a way to respond in a romantic situation or whatever it is. I'm like, don't just let it come in one ear and out the other. Let me note it down as I would if I was reading a book, as I would if I was doing something else. So I think those are kind of ways. And again, you know, if you eat the same food every single day, you're not going to grow, expand your taste buds. So what if you changed the spices? What if you changed the herbs? What if you tried a new recipe? So again, you expand your ability and your senses to experience and appreciate a broader range of life. Same thing when I went to go do, uh, you know, when I went to Burning Man, for example, that expanded tremendously out of my comfort zone. In a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, gosh, I walked naked for three hours at Burning Man. <laughs> you know, exceptional experiences. So the question is, how can you do an experiment and stretch yourself? Which my event was a lot about doing this. You said yourself, you kind of made you a little bit uncomfortable. We do things to connect people that are kind of pushing you a little bit out of it. So of course, it's exposure to stuff that stretches you. You know, the whole concept behind treating allergies, or at least Pasteur here in France had found that by, uh, you know, you have an allergy to bee stings. So you go actually once a week for three months or six months or something to Pasteur, and they give you little doses of the, I don't know, what's, what's it called, the antigen or the, you know, the bee, the bee, like as if you were getting stung by a bee. Mm. They start with a very little dose. Your system kind of recognizes this isn't going to kill you. This is Okay. And they give you another next week, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. 
And by the end, you know, it's almost like the bee is stinging you, but your system doesn't freak out. And that for me is a huge uh, piece of, uh, of how you actually expand your ability to face so many things in life, like exposure to diverse experiences is such a key way to allow yourself to, you know, grow. So it's experimenting and constantly pushing your own uh, limits in a way. It doesn't matter what someone else is doing. You know, maybe you're, you haven't had a lot of sex in your life and you want to have more and you're experimenting. You know, you're not going to be like a friend of mine who literally this guy is like a sex addict. I mean, he goes it's out. It's not and, me. Okay, guys. It's <laughs> not me. <laughs> he goes out every night for the last 30 years and sleeps with two people every night. Oh, so, a lot of which is, I don't know what the purpose is in this thing that he does, but there's definitely pleasure there. But for me, that's a little bit on the extreme, right? But that's his thing. But, you know, like, so it's like, how do you expose yourself um, to experiences that make you a little bit uncomfortable, uh, but that after you've done it and you've done it with presence and also with the sense of like, I'm, I'm going to let myself experience this. I'm not going to go in there saying this is BS. And like, what if you just kind of let your head stay aside? And, you know, you need to go to places where you have a, a certain level of trust, et cetera. I mean, you have to determine that. But that you kind of explore a little bit. And this is how you grow yourself. Because most people are stuck in the same way of doing things. Um, and or a certain thinking that has a judgment about what an experience uh, should be. And they're not stretching themselves. And this goes back to like everything. This goes back to my connection. Like if I want to connect with you, if I do the standard networking thing, which fits into this box, is that going to work? Or do I need to stretch a little bit beyond, you know, what you do just professionally? And I share something maybe personally about me with you. You know, so suddenly you're like, oh, this isn't just somebody who does this or wants this. Wow, they're interested in this. And I love that. I'm curious about this person. So talking about savoring life, talking about a lot about that. And you had this acronym, this cash uh, acronym. I love that. I don't know. It was catchy. Maybe you don't use it that way anymore. Uh, what was cash again? And ca what can you tell us about? Um, I mean, you told us a lot about saving life already, but... How would you encapsulate that in, a, in this sentence, in this uh, acronym? Yeah, CASH is, uh, was a talk that I created, which actually is the cash flow experience. So it's C.A.S.H. And so it's connection, appreciation, sensorial, and home, bring it home. Mm. And so the different steps of it are really, you know, uh, and I've done this for people who, uh, um, you know, big sales organizations, um, you know, entrepreneurs, anyone who wants to be able to get beyond, again, this idea of just, you know, transactional living. Uh, that's more about, you know, pleasure with purpose again, you know. Um, we can sell, but we can do it uh, pleasurably. And so C is connection. This was all just about grounding with yourself and be able to connect with yourself, with your heart and your gut and your instincts. And again, kind of getting beyond the head, which I think we have enough of a connection with. Uh, and kind of connecting with these other intelligences within us and getting a grounding and feeling, you know, feeling good. And then appreciation is actually opening that up to somebody who you're with and actually seeing the people that are there. You know, my events are a lot about this also, like who is here? Look at this person. 
you know, can you use your senses to kind of feel this person? Um, can we touch, you know, can we do different things to, uh, to be together? And it's also about celebrating others and recognizing the value of others and, you know, giving the benefit of the doubt and all these types of things, sort of an openness to the world. And then sensorial is, again, about making it fun and playful and joyful. I mean, life is, at me, at the highest level, like, you know, the greatest spiritual way of going through life and all these types of things. For me, is yeah, it's like the people that are joyful amidst all that we have to go through through life. You know, if you can come back and find that and live that and make moments special and, you know, use candlelight at dinner with your loved one on a day that's not St. Valentine's Day, you know, buy flowers randomly for somebody, whatever it is to do something that makes life more enjoyable. Like in business meetings, they're so bloody boring, (laughs) right? And like no one really cares. No one wants to be there. You know, most of them are useless in most respects. So like, how do you make it a more meaningful uh, moment? And how do you make it more fun? Maybe like everyone has to answer a crazy question or whatever. So it's like get creative and inventive with you. But you would, you know, this is like where you live a lot, this space. Like how do we get more innovation and creating together? And that breaks loose things and we open up these other intelligences. And it's more fun. I mean, life is supposed to be and it doesn't enjoyable. Take, you know? It doesn't take time or oh. money. It's not. It's just we forget. It's we, a way of being. It's a way yeah. of introducing something. Totally. Yeah. It doesn't take much to make a dinner together nice. Like I'm like, you know, I, I eat alone a lot, uh, particularly these days. You know, I do the best I can to set up a beautiful table. So I eat with a real napkin. I fold properly and I use really nice silverware and I never put any plastic on the table. Like I'm honoring the moment, right? I'm making it special. I'm celebrating life, you know, instead of vilifying um, and making like the eating experience transactional or a task. You know, I mean, too much of this is happening a lot. And so the last part, H is home, which is once you have those three things lined up, connection, appreciation, and making it, you know, joyful, playful, and pleasurable, you can actually just see the results coming in. And then it's about trusting, believing, and receiving. You know, this is when the magic starts to happen. You've done your work. Things is it are, about things are th- manifesting. thinking about bringing it home, like you say, as well? Or is it about trusting the process? Because a lot of time, I feel we go through these experiences or extraordinary experiences, like, okay, Burning Man is uh, out of this world, but uh, even SCD, other crazy experiences. And then, then we just like come back to what we used to do. That's what you're saying. So we also have to think about it and, and just... Yeah, I, I believe in the experience I've seen um, also in others is when you get to a place of being grounded, connected with yourself, that you're open and receptive to others and that you're in a space of joy and exuberance and, uh, and abundance, that you are acting and behaving in ways that break through um, you know, former patterns maybe or conditioning that you've had and things you start to see because, again, your senses are alive and open and you're present to life, you start to recognize the opportunities, you know, and then you start to act on it because, you know, it feels good. You know, you start to uh, realize, oh, I need to to focus here. So, yeah, I mean, 
you start to get into action, I want to say, in a way that you wouldn't if you haven't really primed yourself in a way that makes it so you feel good about. And like suddenly things that seem like a challenge before are not. You know, uh, afterwards, if you block yourself, if you get in your own way, if you start overthinking it, overanalyzing, I think that's what stops us. And is that one of the reasons why you came to Paris to also savor life and see all those? Because we have to put in context that you are an American originally and you live in Paris. When, when, since when? It's been 30 years in April, Bootsy. Wow, <laughs> 30 years. So was that part of this whole thing to come to Paris, to open your mind, to savor life in a different way, to open yourself to different people? Was it Was it in this? Um, was it already in this mindset? Probably subconsciously. Okay. You know, I I escaped to get away from going to law school, uh, which I aimed for, but which was not definitely not the path I was intended to to go on. And so, you know, I I, I was trying to escape the kind of herd mentality that everyone had at least where i grew up that you need to immediately start doing something where did you grow up? in beverly hills and so like everyone is racing to the next thing and uh, and i just wasn't clear on who i was what i wanted to become uh, you know where i wanted to live what i wanted to do and so i i kind of escaped and in some ways it was escaping again it was escaping sort of a thinking rational Um, planned way of looking at at life at that time and I needed to find a way to roam and get away from that and Paris was so perfect for that uh, you know I came here and thought I was staying for three months or a year and you know 30 years later I'm still I'm still here so uh, somehow it helped me get beyond uh, you know the anxieties of the life I was living full of comparison to others was surrounded by a lot of people, with a lot of money and a flagrant demonstration of that. And not that that's a bad thing. I mean, everyone needs to do what they want to do, but as a young influential mind uh, and, you know, not knowing what I wanted to, to do or be. Uh, and I guess I grew up in an artistic family, right? So uh, I kind of wanted that and I was kind of running away from that. And at the end, I just decided I needed to run away and and like, you know, go to my own sort of ashram and get away from my family and suddenly like go on my own hero's journey, right? And not follow in someone else's path and recognize that I needed to find somehow my own way. And so again, like talking about like stretching out of your comfort zone, I'd never traveled outside of America besides Canada and like Tijuana in Mexico, which is right across the border, right? <laughs> You know, I'd been exposed to some stuff because my parents were quite cultured, educated people, but I'd never been, I'd never traveled, you know, like that. And so I came alone. You know, I hardly knew anyone. What did you like in Paris? I learned immediately again, very quickly about food. You know, first of all, the, the way that food is uh, revered and honored here in Uh, how the littlest person who has the littlest restaurant, you know, gives so much love and attention and and respect and creativity. You know, this like whole world of culinary arts, 
like, wow, you know, and I came from a family, my dad kind of liked to eat, but didn't have a very expansive palate, but he introduced me to sushi when I was five years old. And, but my mom was a vegetarian and neither of them really drank uh, alcohol. Uh, and so like with my mom, food was rather kind of functional from a vegetarian kind of way, even though she taught me to kind of love that love or hate vegetables. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And my dad kind of exposed me to Spanish food and sushi. And so I got little, like, literally, again, like this idea of, like, exposure is everything. Like, and, you know, I got here and realized, wow, you can actually have kind of the, both, the best of both worlds. You can eat really healthy, fresh foods that have been raised quite well by, you know, maraîchers, these little farmers uh, uh, in France, and nourish yourself amazingly. And you can also eat in a way that brings pleasure. And so you're being nourished and getting pleasure. And like the moment of presence that we share and connection with people around a table here, I mean, this is one of the reasons I wanted to create the experience that I did. There's so much life learning. It's so alive what you experience around a table. Like nothing is better uh, for me than um, experiences around a table where there is culinary art and there's you know, a graceful way of like hosting uh, around the table. So I learned so much and just like cooking. I mean, there's so many, I gotta write a book about all of that because really I have so much to say about what that's brought to my life. I mean, look what happened in France during COVID uh, last week. I read something that the French government has um, postponed or paused this law that says you can't eat at your desk, all right? There's like a law about that, right? You need to have your lunch break. And whereas where I come from in the United States, like I don't know what huge percentage of the people eat at their desk. That's how a sandwich was invented. You know that story? Oh, no, the that's guy, crazy. Well, there the, you go. The, 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 it's a guy whose name is Sandwichman. And, and he, he was apparently not only a hard worker, but also a gambler. And he started putting stuff in two, between two pieces of bread and put it in his pocket. And he made that, he made that kind of famous. I'm maybe Sorry. mistaking on some little detail of the story, but mainly is that I couldn't... Be, I saw that in a restaurant. It was on the wall. I couldn't believe it. I was like, is that, is that a real sandwich guy? So I went to the wall. I read the story. And apparently, yeah, that's, that's how it, it arrived. I mean, a lot of people be, before him put stuff between uh, two pieces of bread, but because he was eating at his desk. desk. But so I'm, um, anyways, so is there other stuff that you don't like in Paris? What are the things that, can you bitch about Paris a little bit? <laughs> I'm kidding. Now, what, what are the things that... I mean, P- Paris is a, is a, is a gray city. Uh, you know, a lot. Of, I mean, we have a sunshine today, which is beautiful, but, you know, it's it's sometimes challenging for several months of the year because Paris is in a bowl that you actually live in, you know, kind of gray weather. And it's like you feel like you're living under a, a ceiling that doesn't move. And that can be kind of challenging from someone from Southern California who grew up in, you know, the opposite of only blue skies. So that that's obviously uh, sometimes a, a challenge for me. Uh, you know, I, I think over the years... Like there's a certain uh, a certain Latin aggressive expressionism that can happen where people go very quickly to frustration and anger and they externalize it on each other because uh, they're not getting what they want. And somehow they believe that the fastest way to get what they want 
is to chale, right? Is to raise. I was the, about to say, yeah, I'm very raise, grumpy. And raise yeah. the volume and all these kinds of things. So, how do you translate chale? Complain, maybe rant, yeah. rant. Yeah, uh, with the champs so, and that. Unfortunately, yeah, no, the French are amazing, and I, and frankly, you know, sometimes that is useful. You know, yeah. when when someone in front of you doesn't get the message, you know, you can be as as friendly and generous and charming and. Yeah, Sometimes it you need be the that. first thing. It shouldn't be the yeah, first thing. Yeah, it shouldn't. Exactly. It's like you're suddenly taking the volume from one and you walk in there and you need to get that paper and you put the volume up to 10 and the way that you act and treat and the way that they... And also, you know, we get back what we give. So I, like everyone here is like mirroring this, um, this, this anxiety, this like protectionism against each other. And so the volume raises and it's like it's an upward spiral yeah. of argumenting. You know, the other thing I think has been challenging uh, for an American is the vu and the tu. So there's this thing that exists yeah. in the language here, of course, which tu is an informal form and vu is a formal form. Of saying you, I'm just for of, the Yeah, for so like you in English, and we don't have that really, uh, other than if you call someone in English, like by their, like Mr. Brown, instead of, you know, let me call you John, yeah. you know, so it's like this way of creating a, uh, a barrier uh, between you and, and in some ways it's almost like a class structure right uh, we do this between people here between different ages and I mean there are some examples I think where it makes sense but the other examples doesn't make any sense at all and people are using it to keep you away and so I as an American am constantly uh, transgressing that and going to two very quickly and you know because again I'm trying to break down the connection barrier you know if we can use that against each other I think that's you know and there are times where I I use that myself, uh, but that's a little bit, that can be a little bit, you can feel a little bit like you're not really connecting with somebody if you don't get through that, right? I mean, you like, have to ask people permission. don't know when. Yeah, it's In like France, you, you say well, I don't ask permission. You, that's just, to, <laughs> you say vous, so permission? you say, look, I'm respecting you. Who asks permission? Can I say two? And he goes, oh, yeah, sure, 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 yeah. So you can say two. And then, no, it's ah, confusing but, for the French. Think about how this is for people from outside of, of France. Course, who of live course. Like, I, when do I do the, like, there are huge debates about But they this. have an excuse, you know, from a French perspective, we're like, yeah, whatever, you know, it has a, I can feel a slight accent or someone else, I know you have a very slight accent so maybe they get they can say you know like whatever but i think for french to a french it's, it's it can be disrespectful and oh, i agree it's not the best system ever i wish we had a you like in english that it's for both but it can be disrespectful disrespectful if we come to someone and we say two and it's like oh okay so he's not respecting me okay let's go on you know like so it is a stupid thing for sure. And you, you still feel in your heart, do you still feel American? Do you still feel French? Is that a gray zone? How do you, I, I was wondering that. Well, again, you know, I want the best of both worlds. <laughs> so I'm between, you know, pleasure and purpose. I'm between American and French. Nice. Again, this is part of why I am who I am and maybe why this works so well for me and has in my life is that I, I want to focus on the best things I get from my Americanism and I want to get the best things from the, the French side also. I, I'm trying not to fall into too much of the trappings of the bad side of things, you know. And I'm kind of lucky because I feel like my life, I'm like, kind of like a tourist. I'm like a permanent tourist. Like here, I'm still an American, even though I've been here 30 years and I'm completely fluent and completely integrated. And I, and I love that. Uh, but when I go to the States, it's the same thing. I can feel kind of at home, but I'm also kind of an outsider. The way that I see uh, life, the way that the things that matter to me, the, you know, I, I, I've, I've never really lived there uh, uh, after, you know, being 21, 22 years old. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I feel like a hybrid. It kind of depends on the, on the subject. Uh, but I hope it's more a fusional thing than, a, again, like a black and a white thing. So I was also wondering, before you were this life coach creator of event and, and writer, and we're going to talk about your book in a second, about uh, love as well, because you, uh, you wrote so many things about it that are very interesting. I want to know more about that. Uh, what kind of job did you do before that? And I know that's not what you, it's the, the standard question, but it's more for people who are watching us and listening to us. Um, I like to talk often about the tilting point, if I can say so. You had this uh, regular, if I can say so, job uh, in a company. So tell us a little bit about that and when did you transition, how, and I think it's going to be interesting for people listening to us. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I first got here 30 years ago, the first job I had was in a law firm as a mailboy, and then I quickly found a job teaching English. And as I got integrated, as I learned the language here, You know, it was really useful. I was teaching in the top American uh, advertising firms people to speak in English and to express themselves. And, and it was great. It was almost like coaching sessions already in life, right? I would have one-on-one -on -one or I would have big groups. And it was really cool. And then at some point, I thought I wanted to do writing back then, now that I think about it. You know, like this American dream, you want to be Hemingway, right? <laughs> And I wasn't too, uh, I remember writing a short story about a love affair I had actually. Wow, that's, I just remembered that. So uh, I, uh, I thought I wanted to get into writing. And next thing I know, randomly, there's an ad in some, you know, newspaper here or something uh, to work for something called WD uh, EMEA or something like this. And it's about publishing. And I'm like, well, maybe I can go to the publishing world and learn more about writing. And I go to the interview, and it turns out that it's Disney. And so I entered the um, Disney Consumer Products, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, uh, regional offices that were based here in Paris, mostly because the Disney Park was opening. And so I find myself for five years working in Disney on publishing books and creating uh, you know, stories for magazines, books, and things like Journal de Mickey. I was the guy between... You know, Disney Hachette, who was publishing it, and the Disney Corporation, who had artists who would correct the drawings and storyteller people would make sure the branding was right and that they're not saying things in the story. I was the coordinator in between all of this, wow. you know, interestingly. So I was being drawn back into a creative world, clearly, and fate just brought me there. So I love that. But at some point, I kind of looked up and I was like, do I want anyone's job here? And the answer was no. How long did you work there? Uh, almost five years. Okay. And so I started looking for other places. And a friend of my dad, uh, again, you need to share when you're looking. You need to ask people and tell people, you know, and people connect you with people. Again, it's all about people, right? So a friend of my dad's connected me with some lady who was looking for an American to help her grow her business. She was a, a lady who'd opened a small um, TV distribution company called Salsa Entertainment. And she had started it with the Jim Henson catalog. So she had all the Muppets and all these great, you know, things and a bunch of other things and some a catalog of 300 movies, etc. So I got hired actually to go into a five person company with, uh, uh, with the job of marketing and uh, licensing. 
And so I did that for five years. And towards the end, it was pretty clear that the, you know, that it was going to end. And so I started for about six, nine, ten months. I started looking and I turned back to my dad's friend again and said, any other suggestions? And he said to me, you should look up online at a company called IMAX. Uh, they do big screen theaters and they create documentaries and, you know, they're a cool company. Who knows? So it's incredible. I go up and look on the site and there's a, a position that they're looking to fill. <laughs> it's, so a, it's unbelievable. It's so random, yeah. right? So in Paris, France, as a salesperson based at home or to go to Nice and work with the guy selling systems. I mean, it's just like, right? So it's like this random, like, just let yourself roam, ask people, be open, and it just happened. And so I, I spent my time trying to interview for that and get that job. And I won the process, which was like this arduous three-month crazy interview process and why I was working another job. And I got fired from the other job a week before I was uh, able to start at the new one because it was a change in management and the whole company had moved to London, uh, including my boss who'd sold off the company uh, to this bigger company called well, I don't want to mention the name, but, uh, and so I became VP of global uh, licensing and marketing for this big company. But I was like in Paris still with four people and like everyone else was in London where they were building a huge team, people in New York, the headquarters was in Munich and it was just kind of falling apart. And it was pretty clear the writing was on the wall. So we went to Cannes Film Festival one day and the boss was really not nice to me. And when we came back from that, we all had letters that we were being laid off. So I found a way to negotiate and get out of there, I think, which was good. And I left on like a Monday. And the next Monday, I started at IMAX. It was perfect. So I started basically in sales, selling documentary films to existing IMAX theaters in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And then for the next nine, uh, nine and a half years, uh, I climbed the ladder and basically became the managing director of Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Uh, selling uh, movies and distributing movies and marketing movies. And as many of you will know, if you follow IMAX, uh, you know, they started to get into Hollywood movies, which was right when I started was the first movie, Apollo 13, you know, which took like three wow. months, three months to transform to IMAX. And and now people realize you're older than you look. <laughs> yeah. And, the movie uh, was no, from that's Hitchcock. What? <laughs> <laughs> So I got to, I got to, um, you know, follow the whole progression of bringing uh, Hollywood into IMAX and working with multiplex chains. And, you know, it was an incredible uh, adventure of like really creating from nothing. I mean, we we're making things up every single day. It's funny that two things that are funny to me is that it brought you back to Hollywood kind of, but from Paris. And you always kind of stayed in this artistic, you weren't an artist per se, but it was perfect for you, those positions describing from the exterior. Of course, yeah. there are a lot of details, but you were coordinating the artistic world and the corporate world kind of, right? Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because the, you know, then I left uh, IMAX because, again, they wanted me to to move to London and I'm like, you know, I'm not moving to the 51st state, <laughs> which Americans will appreciate that comment. <laughs> you know, I'm not moving to London. My life is here in France. This is where I want to be. 
uh, you know, for, for many reasons, obviously. And so, you know, we parted on good terms. For me, you know, we were just distributing Dark Knight Rises uh, and Avatar, you know, working with James Cameron and, and Chris Nolan. And, you know, it was like, you know, I kind of saw myself as like Michael Jordan leaving at the top of his game, right? <laughs> the well, stories right. we tell ourselves. No bragging on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> These things you have to know. And then I, I jumped and I said, you know, I had an opportunity that he said I could come to London, but it was to kind of become, you know. So how old were you when you left IMAX? I was Around. probably about 45. And so at this moment, you you started doing this life coach? That was the... That, that, that yeah, I mean, I turned to do two things. The first thing I turned to was to try and go into the startup world because I just found a, very, a lot of similarities between creating movies and the movie business and what happens in startups and people growing and building businesses. There's so much creativity and innovation and like you're making it up every day and like there are no rules. There is no road, right? Uh, and so... Uh, you know, and you have to kind of connect with an audience. I mean, there's, there's there's just a lot of similarities in the kinds of people that I would find there. And I said, well, I have a lot of skills in there, actually, to do that. And again, I really loved cooking. And so I wanted to do an Airbnb of cooking at home, if you remember. It was called Foodie Home, you know, which has become something not through Foodie Home, but some other people have developed things that are now quite known. But it's kind of like, you know, you go and eat at somebody's home. And like you have a platform that you connect with them on. And like, I want to go to Paris and eat crepes at someone's home who loves going to museums to see impressionist art. And so you go have dinner with them and they cook and you have, it's like you're in their home. And like, again, it's like this pleasure purpose thing. It's incredible. And, you know, everything that happens around food. So I, I pitched that really well and it was really great, but it was almost like Twitter. There was no business model. <laughs> and so at some point I kind of hit my threshold and I, I guess I wasn't really ready to start something like that or not ready enough I mean like I was still just getting out of IMAX and trying to figure things out so uh, I then immediately turned to coaching which was the second thing that I thought was interesting and you usually turn towards coaching because you need your own coaching or you're seeking something uh, and so I was clearly seeking this like you know different connection with myself to kind of be be a new person in a new world and leave the corporate, you know, structure and, and um, you know, club in a lot of ways to start to explore, you know, who am I? What can I do? It's, it's funny. In the last podcast I did with Bill Homewood, we, we talked as well because he was teaching also, uh, he was a teacher all his life. And we talked about this mm -hmm. quote, uh, which is, um, we usually teach what we need to learn the most. I always think twice when I, uh, yeah. I'm giving this quote and I love it. I don't know where it comes from. I have to look it up. It's twice on the podcast already and it often comes back. And I think it's not being an imposter because it can be seen as being an imposter. Like, oh, he's teaching, but he's not, he didn't do it for himself. It's not that. It's just that it's, it's both. It's going back and forth between you helping others and helping yourself at the same time. So it's, it's, it's interesting. So you, you stepped out of this corporate world, kind of. Absolutely. That was, the end of my, that was the end of my corporate experience. And I realized I wasn't a corporate person. I'd adopted and found my way, as a lot of people do. Uh, and, I, you know, I loved what I did. It was amazing. I had an amazing career, uh, you know, if I can call it that, uh, in those different spaces. And, you know, it's not like I'm one of these people who, like, spent 20 years hating life. 
you know, not at all. I loved uh, what I do. It was super challenging. It was stressful. I worked in the movie business. I worked every bloody weekend. You know, you collect box office. You're chasing theaters. You know, you have people like James Cameron calling you. You know, it's 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 a little bit. There's no there's no uh, uh, there's no f- barriers. It's like a you know uh, there's no rules really in in that world. So so anyway, it was just another step in me heading more towards living life more. Um, viscerally versus vicariously, and I have a kind of interesting metaphor. When I left, uh, uh, when I left the corporate world, I was starting to wear hiking boots that were really thick. Like I, uh, it's the ones I actually wore to Burning Man because I painted. I had someone paint Punam painted them, and so like my feet would hurt when I hike a little. And I thought the solution was, well, just get thicker soled shoes, right? So I bought these things called Hubble. Right, like the space satellite, right? Okay. Which I swear to you that the whole, the soles are like this thick, right? Oh. It's like absurd. Like there isn't anything on the market that is that thick. And I realized I was kind of getting too comfortable and relying on out things outside of myself to kind of satiate myself and and kind of please myself and keep myself happy and comfortable and whatever. And when I kind of jumped and left, I realized that what I really needed to focus on and work on was living, you know, more viscerally and more like on the, on the ground. Like I have to get my hands dirty. And, and you stuff. had those shoes, I remember, with the toes. Exactly. That, that they didn't have toes, but hell. the... the uh, you didn't have the toes? No, I didn't have toes. I'm mistaking with another... I have friends who have those. Oh my God, those are crazy, these Vibram. But basically that concept. So I went from, you know, this crazy thing to these little... Um, uh, what do they call barefoot running shoes? But it's and funny, you have we, to build your back, feet. We're coming back to this pleasure, comfortable, and discipline thing, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. But again, it's like one is an extreme, like these Hubble shoes are an extreme. Yeah. And the other one also, I think, is an extreme, the barefoot running thing. So the question is kind of where do you find yourself? I don't use either of those really now today in, uh, in some respects. Or if I do, I lean more towards the barefoot one. But it required me to, I had to like train my feet, like build the muscles in your feet. So it was an incredible metaphor for like where I was going and what I would need to be able to be in a world where the structure and the results and the performance and like why I get up in the morning and what I spend my time doing has to be led and created by me, decided by me. No one's telling me what to do. No one's going to do that for me. I'm I'm wondering, it, it, it's it's all there's. Um, I'm going to be the skeptical guy, <laughs> a little bit, and play that role. What is your relationship towards money and having a job? Because I think uh, some skeptical guy looking at and listening to what you're saying, they might be saying, yeah, yeah, saving life and you know thinking about uh, what do I really need personally and what. I, but I need to work. I need to make some money, man. I need to this. And there is this kind of urge, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, this kind of uh, urgency. How do you make those both world meets? And what would you say to such a person? Gosh, I could, I could, we could talk about this one for like an hour. I know. I, was, I hesitated to ask the question. So make it short. <laughs> well, first of all, I, there's a lot of ways to make money in life. And again, the black and white thinking that the only way you make money is from your job is unfortunate for people to believe that. Uh, if you don't expose yourself to other ways of generating abundance in your life, that's really unfortunate. 
but it all starts to already, for me, again, you know, like I've used a tagline a lot, um, love the life, uh, live the life you love, love the life you lead. And what it's about is de- already savoring, appreciating, and living from a place of abundance that you already love, you know, what you have in, in your life, I think is an important starting point. Um, it, Even it, if you're not making thousands and thousands. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't. When I was teaching English, I was making 10,000 francs at the time, and I was still enjoying very much. Which is you know, like I had, sneak, kind of. Yeah, basically. Okay. I had, uh, you know, I had credit card debt, like a lot of people in the States still. Sorry, and, to sneak for those people that are listening to us, is <laughs> minimum, minimum wage. salary, minimum, minimum wage, wage yeah. sorry. And uh, it's like... Um, maybe a thousand eight hundred dollars or something like that yeah so so yeah i think i recognize early on also that you know i don't know how long my career this corporate thing is going to last uh and i don't you know i came from a place of like incredible uh i don't want to say waste of money but usage usage of money like you know quite extreme like you know, 16-year-olds would come to my high school driving Lamborghinis. You know, I mean, this is a little bit, you kind of get a, a, a screwed up sense of like what, what, what is value, what is money, et cetera. So anyway, just to say that, you know, if you don't make money uh, and abundance uh, and savoring a priority in your life as soon as you possibly can, you're not going to want to spend time and focus energy and your intelligence to... Uh, to come up with um, a lifestyle and a strategy that enables you uh, to run f- what I think is useful, kind of a portfolio of several tracks of how you're actually going to make a living in your life. And this can come from, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of um, of things like dollar cost averaging in the stock market uh, and or uh, um, compound interest. Um, and portfolio, looking at your life as a portfolio of investment. There's a great book for li- uh, people listening to us about uh, compound interest and also compound efforts in your life, doing one little thing every day. Same it's called thing. The Slight Edge. Oh, great. Um, another guest on the show, Vin Young, recommended me this book. It's the best book about these little habits every day. And so you're saying that money is not... It's not an opposing view to, I'm going to exaggerate a lot. It's not an opposing view to living in a moment. And, you know, we have this kind of image of the guy who's not worried about money, living in the moment, savoring and is cooking and doing his own thing because maybe he has a lot of money. So you're saying it's not contradictory to be this business person. You can do both and just see money as a different way and savor your life as it is, have this abundance mindset. That's what you're saying? Well, I think there's a lot of assumptions in there about my <laughs> about my situation, but um, I'm exa- I was exaggerating. <laughs> it's not you. It's not. But you, you know, also, I mean, it's. I, I don't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not a. a uh, I wasn't not, talking about you, by the way. You know. No, no, no. no, no <laughs> a, but you know, I, I'm not a, a a money coach per se. I'm definitely an abundance person, and 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 money is part of that. And mindset and I, is. And I and I love I love having money. I love making money. And money is useful. The more money you have, the more you can share and give to others, and the more you can have various kinds of experiences. And there's lots of things that it can that can help you get a, a certain sense of stability in your life. So then you can go do other things that are more unstable. Uh, so it's 
Yeah, it's getting more strategic. Like who spends time on the weekends looking at their financial situation? I've spent more weekends than you can imagine uh, in my, again, 30 years. So it's not just about like making a lot of money. I know a lot of people who've made a lot of money and that have no money today because they've spent as much as they've made or made bad you know, choices based on comparing themselves to other people who bought these huge McMansions maybe in Florida or something and then the market crashed. So it's, I think it's very personal. But one thing is for sure that either if you focus entirely just on making money, probably that's not going to happen. Or you're going to be so unhappy that you've, you don't have abundance, you have money. And that I don't think is that's like the certain extreme. Uh, so I, again, I'm interested more in finding a middle road that makes it so I don't have to kill myself. So it involves making decisions about what matters to you. What is your wealthy life? What does the abundant life look like to you? There are many things I don't spend any money on, and there are other things I will spend lavishly on. And I'm pretty clear about those things. And also I'm pretty clear about that for me to reach a certain uh, target or what I want to, to do, I have to make certain lifestyle choices and and things, you know? So it's... Yeah, I mean, but if you don't if you don't kind of focus on that and you think it's just about making money by working and maybe that works for some people. I'm not putting any framework on anyone else, but No, no, but it's I great. I think there's many paths to yeah. getting there, but if you don't pay any attention to it, and that's definitely not me, you know, you you know, you where are you going to go if it's just, you know, on the other side if that's all you think about, that's all you yeah. do and that's all you work for, etc., like what kind of life do you lead? I don't I'm again, so I'm looking for where's like this middle range road. And again, it's like for everyone, it's different. So it's like exploring what is that for you? You know, and how can we build something that gets you in that direction? And so you don't have to think about it and spend so much time on it. I mean, there's there's many ways to to do this. And again, a bit of patience, a bit of discipline, a bit of, you know, not impulsive, like the market crashes and you sell everything like, OK, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of fascinating stuff about the way that you relate to money, I think says a lot about who you are. Another part of what makes your life uh, wealthy is love and romance. And I know you talk a lot about that and you're going to talk about your book as well. But first of all, I know you lost your, your love from 27 years was a um, that uh, I personally knew, so it was very hard for for you. And I know you overcame that somehow. Um, so I, I'd love to, if you're comfortable talking about that. I'd love to talk about this because I know it's I can't imagine how hard it would be. And I know you did a lot for yourself, as methodically as you could, I guess. And I think it'd be interesting for people to. Uh, to know how how you how you did overcome that loss patiently <laughs> yeah it takes a lot of trust in life and trust in your own i guess destiny and fate and belief that you know Maybe you want to look at life as being unfair, but I prefer to look at life as being a treasure and special and, you know, that there's a certain soulfulness to my experience here. And that, 
you know, I guess in some ways leaning on some spiritual ways of looking at the world that, you know, we're all here for uh, for some kind of reason that we're discovering and exploring and expressing. And, and the people that are in our lives are also on their own path. And, you know, yeah, life can be unfair. When I spent time with the Dalai Lama and Samdom Rinpoche and uh, Dharamsala in the end of 2019, you know, one of the key messages that they wanted to share with us when somebody asked a question about, he fought with a friend of his and their friendship seemed to end and he wanted advice what to do. And the response from these, you know, 80-year-old spiritual, you know, nobles was, well, they kind of laughed and said, you should be appreciative because your friend has taught you impermanence. You know, that things and people and positions and salaries and jobs and relationships, I mean, in a lot of cases, one way or another, they're impermanent, right? They're not going to last forever. And that's a concept that we don't always want to accept. And we're fighting against that. And so, yeah, I had to spend a lot of time, introspective time. I spent a lot of time alone when that was when I was going through this. And I did that because I wanted to be able to connect with myself and heal myself uh, and realize that, you know, I was by myself, but I wasn't alone, uh, you know, uh, that, and that I could handle being alone, you know, that I wouldn't go into a depression or a sadness or whatever. And so, again, like little by little, I exposed myself to this reality that I didn't, we didn't think was going to happen, but headed, headed in that way and ended in that way. And so it's just really taking the decision that this is going to be a growth experience for me and I'm going to give everything that I can uh, for now. Uh, so I have no regrets about the love that I've given, about the presence that I've given. I mean, I went every day and I cooked every day meals that I took to the hospital, you know, for six to nine months. You know, I'd cook and then get on my bicycle and ride 20 minutes and then spend some time and then come back home by myself and cry on the bicycle and, and like let my emotions out and yell at the world and go through all these phases of grief. And, and luckily I'm well surrounded, so I have people that I could share with. And, and I did different kinds of experiences to help me emotionally. I had some healer people I would spend time with, um, you know, where it would be a kind of a mix of like a psychological discussion, uh, like a therapist kind of discussion with people who are not therapists, really, you know, with sessions of Reiki, uh, uh, with my with my osteopath energy person, uh, you know, did not block the energy that was within me because of the emotions that didn't want to see the light of day because it was so painful to let them. Yes, you, you should you know. Yeah, you because don't want to cramp. Is, you don't is, want to cramp down. That's, I think, the worst. Yeah. You don't, maybe you don't want to let it all out in, at once. No, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah. But you want to kind of open the valve. And again, it's always the same idea that I'm saying, like, expose yourself a little, open it up a little. It's also like crying, you know, like in, like when people are together in groups and things, sometimes things I've been part of, like, 
like somebody starts to cry and people immediately come up and hold them and touch them. I'm like, no, no, no. Let the person cry. They need to be able to manage and live with themselves. Like if someone is always there, what happens when they're alone and no one is there? You know, so for me, it was really important. Like, how do I, how do I, uh, how do I have this experience in a healthy way and let this stuff out? And it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. And you, you know, you get on with it because you get on with it. But, you know, the only thing that I could promise to myself was give all my heart, give all my soul, love with everything I could, give her everything that I have to give and I could, and that she wants and needs in this moment, everything that I could possibly do for that, do that, be the greatest husband I could possibly be, you know, help the family understand and process this also. Because uh, everyone has to go through it their own way, so somehow be... Um, you know, be be the man that can, you know, be the the uh, the translator for them a little bit about about that. And the rest, you know, you're just kind of feeling it through and making it up. It's not like there's a formula to yeah. do this, but you want to be able to get you want to be able to release your emotions either alone or with someone who can help facilitate that and find a way to to trust in life and believe in have faith and um, carry hope and know that there's some purpose for this, you know, for her and for me. And, you know, never let go of of that. And, and afterwards, just know that, you know, she wants me to live a beautiful life, Yeah. you know, and to love life. And it kind of goes back to this whole thing of Loving life, which my book is kind of, you know, somewhat Dance about of that. the Love Caterpillars. Dance of the Love Caterpillars. Caterpillars, yes. <laughs> so so um, what is it about? It's connected to love, to romance? Yeah, it's an inspirational romantic love story for romantics of all ages. So, you know, it's an adult book. It's not a kid-oriented book. And yet it has, you know, magnificent illustrations. And we've also done an audio version and also a, uh, a, an originally composed music version. And the illustrations are done by Cheryl Vanderpoel, uh, who's in the United States. And the musical composition is done by Viara Ivanova uh, uh, in California, or actually Viara Ivanova Dietrich um, in, uh, in California. And so, yeah, I mean, Part of it was because I'd experienced what I experienced. I needed to remind myself that, you know, love shows up if you if you are love, uh, if you have faith that you can love again and be loved again, and you come from an abundance place and not a scarcity mindset, and you trust in life and you take care of already your own stuff. And did writing uh, help you? I wouldn't say overcome this this whole uh, uh, pain, but did it help you in some way to externalize it, to put your thoughts into paper? I don't know how would you how would you formulate that? Yeah, put my emotions into paper. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was very salutary, you know, very healing to write something that felt uh, hopeful and felt inspirational. You know, to remind myself and hopefully to remind others that 
life is a beautiful thing and we never know what can happen tomorrow. And so we, it's kind of our moral imperative is the way I see it to live in, every day in appreciation of, of life. So what is the book about exactly? The, uh, well, it's, a, the it's, it's a romantic love story between two caterpillars okay. who um, randomly, serendipitously run into each other. And they're, uh, they, they're both uh, trying to find food to eat because there's not much because of a certain dryness in the season. And something random happens. And they're able to cross a river and they run into each other. And so... Don't say everything. Yeah, and so they, <laughs> so they discover each other. And, you know, what happens from there is really their kind of a transformational journey because they're monarch butterflies that, uh, you know, are supposed to be heading towards becoming butterflies. And so it's the whole interaction and conversation and exchange they have in this very random um, encounter and how they realize that really life is about savoring the moments and making the best of what is today. And we don't really know what will happen tomorrow. And my life is a demonstration of that, as are many people's lives. And so given that, you know, that impermanence, how do we, how do we live still with joy and love and, and realize that we can have love again, we can live from love again, but, you know, we need to embody love ourselves. What, how do you define romance? What is, what is romance to you? Because you know, there's an official definition Maybe you have an, a different one. It's interesting. I, I think you know about a, uh, a video. I asked this question actually publicly to people. Is romance essential in your life? Mm. And we'll be releasing the you video. You asked me and I had to <laughs> look it up. I was like, what is romance actually? So that's why I'm asking oh, that's this question funny, as yeah. well. Yeah. So, you know, 33 people answered in this video, which we'll release, which is just epic. And what's fascinating is everyone has a different definition of what romance is and I love that because it joins my my own definition which is really about it's kind of a way of living your life it's a way of seeing the world and experiencing the world like I want to consider myself a romantic of life meaning that I, I recognize appreciate and savor beauty uh, I love human connection Uh, sure, I love romancing people and charming people and generously giving to people. Uh, you know, I love beautiful... I mean, Paris is such a romantic city. The architecture, the the history, the museums, uh, the culinary arts and the food. You know, it's like a Latin way of people being together. There's so many elements of it that make it feel to me like I'm having this love affair that's full of variety and... Um, diversity uh, and like juicy sensorial kinds of things that make life worth living that make it you know super um, engaging from a, a joyful kind of way so it's not just about the very simplistic view of romance between a man and a, a woman that is part of it but it's a way more broad, you know, kind of way of looking at the world, which for me is basically sensorial living, sensorial intelligence. Yeah, and sometimes in life, we get busy, we have a job, we have this and that, and for some people, the kids as well. And romance is the first thing that 
we forget how to do you were saying before it doesn't necessarily take much time or money it's just putting a, f- a couple of candles and a different uh plates you know and, and a napkin those things are important and sometimes we we forget about it of course i'm talking about one type of romance and as you said there are many definitions so what advice can you give people who are super busy and who might forget who might not think uh, and who, who might already see the romance disappear from the couple just use the question how can i make this moment romantic you know so you're about to set the table for dinner ask yourself how can i make this romantic and maybe it's you say well, well i'll write a little note to tell her i love her I'll put a little heart. I'll just put a little heart on her napkin. You know, it's it's these little kinds of things. And a lot of people say this in the video. It's like the little, like I touch you on the shoulder uh, when you're doing hard work uh, at home and you kind of look a little stressed. I don't say anything. Just walk up and just touch you with my hand. You know, it's about like smiling at strangers or a homeless person. Same kind of thing. But like in anything you do, and I believe in work also. Like you're having a tough moment at work or you're writing something to a client. A lot of people say write as if you're writing a love letter to them. Do a video. You must know this. You studied this kind of stuff. Like do a video speaking to your client as if you love them. It doesn't mean you're using language of love, but you're coming from that intention. And there'll certainly be things that come in and are expressed in a way that, again, is way more connective. And so, yeah, it's just ask yourself, how can I make this moment a little bit more special, romantic, surprise is a great thing, serendipity is a great thing, doing things different, diversity, change the color, um, change the lighting. Think about your senses. Like, how can I use my senses to make this for me and for someone else a more romantic experience? It's almost like you working from your desk, you know, you suddenly say, well, writing at this table at my work desk is boring. What if I sit on the couch and put my feet up? Maybe that's a romantic moment for you, right? And you're still doing that hard text. So again, it's like pleasure and purpose. How can we like overlap them? So coming back to the book, uh, I also wanted to ask you, who is this book for? When we, So we talked about romance, how you see it, and all those little tips. Um, who you, you would say this book is for anyone who feels in their heart that they're a romantic definitely Um, people who are looking for inspiration to feel like you know they will find love in their life um, potentially romantic love or friendship love or or whatever that you never know it's not only about uh, romantic love it can be about friendship oh yeah absolutely You know, it's just the hope. I mean, a lot of people don't have really good friends. I mean, really, you know, if you're not like ecstatic about the friends that you have, I mean, like, really, like you love the friends in your life. You know, you need to get a little bit more romantic, I think. So, yeah, it's, you know, my wish is that it it has the inspiration to give people uh, the belief, the hope, the desire that. You know, when something serendipitous happens in your life, good, bad, or ugly, that maybe it's an opportunity to really open your eyes and your senses and, like, ask, where is the gift? Where's the teaching? What's the meaning? And just kind of um, 
believe that there's something of value there uh, for you. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it is a delicious romantic life uh, life and love story uh, that you know wants to help people stay focused on you know how do we make everyday life a beautiful thing you know in spite all the challenges and all the you know stuff that we all have to face and go through i would like to sum it all up with good luck maybe <laughs> a quote maybe a quote that you like one of your favorite quotes and how it um how it speaks to your journey yeah yeah i'm terrible at multiple choice <laughs> <laughs> one quote one yeah, quote no, that you like can i give two I'm okay take you two. can give two uh so one of them is uh from lao tzu from 500 was it 500 bce and it's basically stop thinking and end your problems stop thinking and end your problems So again, it's the whole sort of, yeah, sensorial uh, thing. We're not here to. My clown live, teachers should used to in. say, "Bring it down." Yeah. So bring it down. Exactly. Love that. Yeah. And that's a lot about what really life is. We're way too. I mean, this is so well known. We're we're caught in this rational world, and it's not like we don't need thinking. I mean, like I use thinking all the time. I don't want to live there, though. I don't want to, you know. Meditation is basically about kind of not, well, anyway, yeah. whole nother podcast. Um, and the other one is from uh, Alice in Wonderland, the movie. And it's something along the lines of Alice saying to the Mad Hatter, uh, you're entirely bonkers. Uh, but I'll tell you uh, something, all the best people are. That's the perfect way to end up on the creativity <laughs> note. <laughs> That's great. David, where can we find you on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all that? What do you, we're going to share the links anyway, but what do you want to... Yeah, and my, and my website, um, website David, davidbrower.com. Okay. D-A-V-I-D-B-R-O-W-E. We'll share it. Yeah. We'll share it. And on Facebook, Instagram, and a little bit on LinkedIn. Okay, and you share a lot of uh, videos and cool quotes yeah. and uh, poems. Oh, we haven't talked about poems. Oof, so much to talk about. So you write also, you share some of the poems on uh, social media that are very inspirational. So follow yeah. David Brower, okay? And uh, yeah, thank you for everything, David. It was great. We could have gone like that for hours, I think. <laughs> we had to, to, we tried to, we tried to make it short. We shorter. tried to. But uh, no, thank you for everything. It was great. I'm, I'm sure honored. A lot of people, uh, I'm sure a lot of people will uh, uh, take a lot of things from, uh, from what you shared with us. So thank you so much. I appreciate it, like you say. And uh, I truly do. So... Mm. Maybe we do another episode one day and talk about bring it down. Bring it down, baby. That sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, Bitsy. Have a great day.